Hello and welcome to What So What Now What. This is episode two of season two and I'm joined by my co-host Ravi. Good evening. Hello. How is how, how are you doing? <laughs> I'm good, thanks. How about you? You're a bit worse for wear, aren't you? <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. As you can tell from my voice, I've been uh, struck down by the, the old laryngitis, so I actually couldn't speak for about four <laughs> days. So for anyone that knows me or um, knows of um, me, I, th- that's torture. And I'll, I'll tell you, my internal monologue has been something to um, witness. <laughs> I wish you speedy returns. I think we tried to record this on Sunday and you you, you sent me the the most... Uh, like I, l- I listened to your voicemail and I just thought, no, we're not recording this for a while. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, it was, it was proper raspy. Like It's, it's the, the rattle of a man on his deathbed. Yeah. Well, today's episode is actually about visualization literacy and it is a bite. It is indeed. And uh, it's quite a hot topic right now. Um, so not just visualization literacy, but data literacy. Um, and we're going to sort of um, dig into a bit more about what that means, what, what we, we we feel it means and the things we've found out when uh, finding out, well, um, digging into this topic a bit more. And of course, um, <laughs> debating a bit more about our, our thoughts on, on the topic. And yeah, and we, within that, we can think about, you know, what data literacy is, but what beyond that, what is literacy in general? Because um, that's something that is important. And then how does data literacy and then further beyond that, viz literacy, um, fill into that? But before we do that, let's um, let's first thank everyone for the feedback from last week when we talked about Hyper. That was actually a bit. Absolutely. Um, really good feedback on LinkedIn, Twitter. I think it was a bit dry at times uh, and you know, appreciably <laughs> so given the topic. Um but I think people really valued sort of the insight into sort of where the technology is going. Yeah, it's something that sort of, um, yeah, I mean, we, 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 I think one one listener noted that we said it would be fairly accessible, but if, I, I won't lie, like even at times with that that final section, there was bits where I was just completely like lost and I was like, <laughs> I'm, yeah, I mean, this this makes sense in a weird way, but I couldn't like explain it back to someone else. That yeah, so, yeah. Um, but that's absolutely fine. I think we're going to um, do uh, try to, tone that sort of um heaviness down in this in this episode for sure absolutely um, and the other thing we we got good feedback on is the um show notes and also the um the podcast uh, artwork so if you if you've noticed in the previous episode and possibly in past episodes as we go through various sections of the show you might notice that the uh, podcast album art changes and usually what we do here is we show images relevant to what we're talking about so we just wanted to call that out it's um, it's a feature that's supported in apple Podcasts and most other podcast apps so just um, bear in mind if you're listening with your phone in your pocket and you're wondering what we're referring to um, it's probably the image uh, of the album art so just switch on your phone and have a look and and if you're someone like me for example who like listens to on the train and mod my eyes shut or uh, you know, while doing other things, that's absolutely fine. I mean, it, you can also scrub, so like hold down the tracker and yep. um, see what what changes, and then listen to the clip to get a gist or recall on what we were talking about in that in that point. I really like those flags. Uh, again, hats off to Tim for all the hard work he does uh, on the post processing. Um, I think we maybe we should talk a bit more about that at the end. Yeah, of this yeah. Why not? I think at the end of the episode, we'll touch a little bit on how we actually record the podcast, how it comes together, what tools we use, and how we host it. Why not? Yeah, yeah cool. Excellent. Cool. So, visualization literacy. What what does it mean? What sort of what do you understand by that term? I, th- I think it really comes down to how people, when you sort of look at a chart or a graph, and even you know, as as basic as do you call it a chart or a graph? When is a chart a chart, or when is a graph a graph? Stuff like that. It's like 
how does that terminology and all those different things fit together? Um, and if you think about literacy in general, you know, the ability to read and write, um, that's taught to you or you pick, you, you don't really pick up the ability to read and write. It's, it's a, mm-hmm. almost like a muscle reflex that you have to teach yourself. You know, there's um, always stories about those folks who, you, who grew up and they, they just never learned to read um, or write because they never needed to, but they're you know, super hard on maths, for example, because well, they they never recovered the muscle reflex to write. Um, that they, they they their mind is fairly well developed. Yeah. But that that sort of holds true in when you think about literacy broken down into the in terms of data and viz, right? So if we took in thinking about data, I put out a tweet recently which was, um, "Is data mathematics?" Um, <laughs> yeah. I'd argue not, right? You're like, yeah. um, but it, it's all about those <clears throat> what you associate with that and how, how you sort of approached it and so i guess similar to visualization like is an infographic of is you know what is what is it that you see when you look at an infographic or something very complex versus mm-hmm. a bar chart or a line chart yeah and it's 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 almost taking literacy in, in its in its simplest form so uh, traditional literacy is is about sort of the ability to read and write uh, data literacy is, is some of the same, but you're doing that with data, however that might come. It might be something as, you know, hard as numbers in an Excel sheet or something as beautiful as like a, a hand-drawn data visualization, you know? Hard here meaning static, then yeah, difficult. <laughs> exactly, exactly. And then, then there's also the other sort of deeper sort of form of literacy, which is not just the ability to read and write, but also then comprehend and understand. So you, you, you talk about comprehension at school. And so data viz literacy is kind of an amalgamation of these core skills sort of coming together uh, to form something quite abstract, actually. It's a very difficult thing to sort of appreciate and, and score. Um, yeah. But actually, a few people have actually tried to do this. Yeah, exactly. And it's funny when we think about this as uh, a hot topic right now. Um, but really, when you when 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 you know you, you start looking at data literacy and business literacy, given the fact it's a hot topic, and you start looking deeper into it, you figure out actually this has been going on for at least five, maybe six or seven years. Uh, and you know, some some papers are even older than that, where people have actually sat down and thought about how do we perceive these different elements that we interpret. Now, of course, when many in, who work as intensely in our fields as we do may know the names of Stephen Few, Alberto Cuaro, uh, David McCandless, Edward Tufte, um, those sorts of people. And they, they, they sort of touch on all of these elements when they're telling and sharing their, their particular frame, frameworks, as it were. It's never, never, never a right and wrong way, of course, and in all these things, it's all about the application. Um, but all of all of what they've shown has roots in this what what really is a, almost a gateway skill, right? Mm-hmm. Like you, you think about um, data literacy and vis literacy, um, but more in, in in particular vis literacy, you, you're thinking about new, numerical skills, yep. and in some ways, mm-hmm. you think about the um, computer skills, the ability to design something, mm-hmm. and even even and you know, touching on design, you've got stuff like the the media literacy, and yeah, you've got yeah. uh, you know the ability to design something and build something that's engaging as well as informative. Exactly, exactly. And so it's a really difficult thing to score because I think most people are probably listening to this and saying, okay, fine, uh, we understand the abstract sort of nature of it, but how on earth do you then start to quantify it in a way that, you know, is, is meaningful so that you can actually understand whether people in your organization or people you're engaging with and um, sort of what their level of literacy is. Um, and there's a couple of really, really good papers on this. I've, I've highlighted one in the show notes. 
which basically breaks it down into, I guess, levels. And the, the most basic level is the simple sort of extraction of information from data. So that's basically being able to look at numbers on a page and, you know, take that data in. Then there's the intermediate level, which is about sort of seeing trends and understanding relationships. So for example, correlation, when this goes up, this goes down. That's sort of an intermediate level. And then the advanced level, the sort of the really deep level of understanding, it comes through comparisons and, and comprehension. Basically being able to look at data, understand the trends, and then relate some sort of higher level of meaning or sense from that. So uh, for example, yeah. if this increases, then the consequence of that might be X. And that's that's the kind of really advanced level of comprehension. And so it boils down to a really basic set of things, you know. Can can a user take some information out of out of the data viz as a start? And is it correct when they do that? Um, when they look at that chart, um, are, are their sort of thinking process activated? Sometimes you can look at something, but it doesn't get your sort of brain juices fizzing, as it were, <laughs> which, is, which is actually a really important <laughs> point we'll come to later. Um, you know, the things that I've been emphasized in the graph, whether they're outliers or, you know, things that don't fit the trend, are those being perceived correctly? And then once you've done all this, are you able to, to sort of chunk it up into sort of visual pieces and then build a story? That's, that's a very big word that's often used in this space. Are you able to yeah. then start to build a story? And that's why storytelling through DataViz is a really important thing, because if you can help the user do that, then you're, you're reaching this sort of really high level of understanding. And then the last thing is, I'm surprised this is last, but it's actually really important. As the user walks <laughs> away from this, you know, let's say in a week's time or two weeks time, are they still able to remember what it is they digested from your visualization or from your, your piece of data, right? Say, uh, does it have a lasting impact, right? And actually, I don't know, Ravi, when was the last time you looked at a database? Uh, yeah, probably uh, earlier on today. Okay. And do you remember the numbers that you took from it? <laughs> um I, I i honestly cannot okay but what uh, do you remember about it? yeah so it was a, it was a visualization about uh, peter crouch okay. okay um and his scoring for his last three clubs in the premier league okay cool so that's that's it i, I can't tell you whether it's what, what the axes were what the trend was but okay I can just tell you that those are the key things that were in that and what did you what did you take away from it um nothing it was sort of like Yes, it was almost like a okay, and then you just move on. It, there was nothing really. There was no point, yeah. Yeah, it was sort of a, almost a supplement to the wider story. Okay, and so that's it's really interesting. We'll come on to this example at the end, but the thing you took away from that visualization was just the fact that it was a visualization about Peter Crouch. And that was it. There yeah. was no yeah. salient point that stuck with you, and so that's a very very good example of actually what goes on with every single data visualization. But you don't actually conceive that whilst you're building it i bet you when you're building something or i'm building something we build this sort of i'm going to say fanciful <laughs> story in our mind about what people are going to understand yes. and how much they're going to remember it after but in real terms i ask you what you saw earlier on in the day and you can't even tell me you know a pertinent number from that, that thing that's yeah that's so that's so true that's absolutely true and and i, th I think this is something i learned so like not not so early on but like the blood, sweat and tears you put into a piece of work in the back end, the, the middle end, and then when you deliver it and you, you try and tell someone like, oh, so what I had to do here was build this really complicated calculation. Uh, the, the data back end is a mess. So I had to clean it up in this really fancy way. I think it was a really inventive thing I had to do. But 
at the end of it, it's just going to be an image on a slide deck. Yeah, a exactly. Slide deck, which is 83 slides long. Um, and it's going to be flicked through after the one salient point has been made. Yeah. And you're just thinking, wow, I spent so much time based uh, purely because of, you know, the trust and the rigor that, that uh, applies behind, you mm-hmm. know, like the fact that it has to be right. Mm-hmm. Should anyone question it? Yeah. Uh, but that, that's, uh, that's so true. Like, uh, I mean, the, the, the calling me out there is, I, I feel kind of bad now for the person <laughs> that creating it because that, that was completely unscripted folks. Like I had to really think about what I'd looked at. Uh, and yeah. Um, I mean, for, for me, and, and when you, when, uh, as you said to him, when you're designing this stuff, you're thinking, oh, so I'm doing this specific design choice in order to yeah. sort of nudge the user to think about this and, and add this level of interactivity when really, if we, if we're completely honest, if we create interactive visualization, I'd even have to say not even 5% of users yeah. uh, will click through. Yeah, exactly. Right? Like, exactly. That, that's, that's just fundamentally what it is, unless it's something like, that has to be like you have to click through in order to get any sort of information from yeah it. if you can get it from the static image you sort of consume and move on mm-hmm. and and the thing the thing is is like you were looking at a fairly i'm going to say um extracurricular data viz you're kind of just interested in sport yeah. you're looking at this so there isn't as much pressure for example as you would have in, in say a business context where you know people need to understand the numbers and they need to get the salient point from these data visualizations and so how do you make sure that comes out in a reliable way, not just to one person, but to everyone in your organization who has access to something like that? And it's exactly that. And like how much time are they going to spend? And that's where the, lit, uh, the visualization literacy point comes in, right? You have to really understand at what level are all your users at and at what level are people going to interact at it? With exactly. It, right? Yeah, exactly. And and this is where things get really interesting. Um I want to sort of pivot now to the so what. So now we've, we've, we've sort of broken down this literacy. We've broken down why it matters. Um, so the so what point here really comes to this point we've just highlighted, which is as designers, as we build data visualizations as technicians, as I might say, or developers, as we're sometimes called. I hate that phrase, <laughs> developer. So I, I don't code anything yet. No. <laughs> um, but as developers or technicians, whatever you want to be called, um, we we sort of get carried away in our own skill set and I, I think i think this is this is more so especially when the tools are good when the tools are good and easy it's easy to build more complicated charts or more complicated designs or you know really i'm going to say extravagant visualizations that we think do a better job of showing some sort of um, behavior. And so there's a study that was done in the US um, where some researchers essentially took um, a set of visualizations to a museum. Okay? And the museum, a science museum, is a fairly self-selected crowd of people who you would think have a natural um, interest in sort of information and data, right? Yeah, these are sort of people who, who will go on a... Saturday afternoon to spend the entire afternoon wandering a museum. They're not going to go there for about 20 minutes and pop out again. Yeah, exactly. And so what they were doing is, you know, they, they put a set of visualizations in a very simple grid. If you're looking at the uh, um, podcast artwork, you can have a look at it, the visualizations and it's a real range. Some of it as simple as a map, um, the, the classic chloropleth map. You've got um, small multiples images. You've got a few networks, diagrams and Sankey diagrams, a few tree diagrams, uh, some standard bar charts, you know, with the 50-50 split that you often get with ge- on gender. There's a, the, yeah, there's an underground, underground map. Yeah, exactly, exactly. And there's a word cloud, okay? 
and the simple line chart that was probably 100% done in Excel, but we'll, we'll, <laughs> we'll skip past that. Um, and so this is a really good range of visualizations. Actually, these visualizations were sort of headline bits of, um, you know, data storytelling in various, from various sources around the world. Okay. And yeah. um, what the researchers were trying to do is basically show these to people and number one, un- understand whether they, they knew what they were looking at. Could they identify the charts? Um, could they tell the researchers more about sort of where they were most likely to interpret data viz? And I think um, what was also interesting about this is that there was a very even split between young and old participants. So it's a nice, good cross section of, um, of, of ages and demographics as well. And um, what was really interesting was sort of the outcomes. And so I think the first most pertinent sort of outcome was this uh, understanding from the researchers that people were mostly experiencing data viz or charts or graphs in a school setting. So the most prominent exposure to data visualization was actually at school or high school. And then that that was that was about fifty percent for youth, and for everyone else, it was mostly in the news and so on and so forth when it came to that youthful age. Yeah. But that sort of makes sense, right? Like yeah. you, you, you and I, like when we're in school, we we learn about the. I I always say like the first chart you learn is the bar chart, yeah. Then the pie chart, then yeah. the line chart, and then maybe you do the scatter plot when you're in like high school, looking at like y y equals x squared and all of that algebra stuff, right? Exactly um but but i mean then beyond that if you don't choose to work in uh, any sort of analytical career then yeah you, you're going to end your your primary source of um inter- in- interpreting data and data visualization will be the through the media and and other such outlets right? exactly exactly and what is then interesting is that the adult perspective of this is very different i think it's um you know schooling is still uh, a, a serious chunk, about 30%. But now other sources sort of start to be more prominent. So 12% news and media, another 12% at work. And then um, other contexts might include books. So uh, data viz is often used in books uh, as a way of communicating information. And so um, about 60% of people are experiencing data viz either at school, uh, at work, or in other literature. And through this exposure, they did a really nice sort of uh, matrix of people's understanding of different chart types. And they basically asked people if they could correctly identify <laughs> chart types, right? And it, it, it's, it's fascinating because if you take a simple chart, uh, a simple line chart, only 63% of people could actually identify it correctly as a line chart, okay? Um you even had wow. numbers such as ten percent thinking it was a map, <laughs> which is which is which is really interesting. Okay, and then if you go up to a graph like a typical bar chart that has quite a high level of understanding, but even that, only seventy five percent of people correctly identified it as that as a graph, and it's absolutely fascinating because we we often think something like a chart or a bar chart are the simplest forms of charts you could possibly use like how can someone mm. not understand a bar chart but apparently that's the case but i think there's there's, there's other elements within this right so it's it's not just the fact that um it's it comes down to if you don't have to use that muscle so regularly mm-hmm. like you know similar to what we're talking about with reading and writing yeah yeah um think about write, writing in different languages so um i for example uh, speak and write in a second language which is gujarati 
which is the language uh, that my parents use, we speak at home. Um, if I don't regularly write in that language, there can be times where I sort of forget the right sort of, um, it's not really a letter, it's like the um, the, the uh, symbol we use yeah. uh, and, and the correct usage of it because you have to really think about it. And again, I guess it, this almost follows the same sort of mental process where you have to think, really think about what am I looking at? And, you know, we, we, we looked up here and sort of said that line chart is definitely in Excel. And I think that's also something to not, not really turn our nose out too much either. Yeah, Cause we, exactly. I mean, me, me and you both, both started in Excel. Um, that, that's actually where most of, I'd, I'd say almost everyone has created a chart. Yeah. Um, if they've created a chart in, in a computer program, that's it. That's where they, they would have done it. They, they wouldn't have chosen Tableau, for example. They wouldn't have chosen Power BI as a default. They wouldn't have gone and learned R to um, use ggplot, mm-hmm. right, to, to create a line chart or a bar chart. Mm-hmm. So it's, it's it's really interesting to always see people be like, oh, we're using it, so you should really get yourself onto one of these more, yeah. beauty, more beautiful-looking tools. Go, going back to your point on, you know, this, the naming thing is so important. Yes. Like how, how do we name things and how do we um, sort of approach that? I think in the, the, further in the study, we look at um, uh, the network layout um, chart. Yeah. Or, or, and it's like how many people called it a network layout? Yeah. Uh, and the, the answer was uh, 2.6. And the most popular <laughs> answer, of course, was it's a graph. Yes, right? like, exactly. That, that's what it is. Yeah. Um, yeah. Like, I can't tell you what type of graph it is like, off the top of the off the top of my head but yeah. it's 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 a chart yeah and if you look at the whole spread of all participants um the, the total sort of uh percentage that got that right was 0.5 percent so it's a, it's uh it's simultaneously the least recognized and always the ha- and also the hardest one to understand if that makes sense so it's a double whammy not only do people not know what it is but it's also the hardest one to read and understand <laughs> Yeah, and, and this we'll get into more about into this in in, in the now what sort of section where we talk mm-hmm. about you know um, not not quite vis crimes but things that you have to really consider when you're creating something you know the thing we talked about where you know when I look at a chart what am I going to actually retain from yeah. that um, and then also we'll touch on like the ways you can make sure someone retains a certain part of information right exactly um, exactly because with a network chart as you say it's really hard to interpret but the reason people like it is because the thing it does is it shows relationship. Yeah. And in, 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 and it adds a spatial element to it. It shows transfer but, and movement, doesn't it? Yeah. Yeah. And, and, but if you, if you immediately don't understand that, you don't get it. But this is another one of these things where it's like, but when you take the time to understand that and you stand there for about, you know, a, a couple of minutes, really digesting, exactly. and then you yeah. start exploring it visually, mm-hmm. then it starts to make more sense. But again, that, that the vis literacy is not only just about, understanding things but also having the patience to allow yourself to understand it and it's also about whoever's building it bridging that gap so if you are going to do something like a network layout well expect to maybe educate the user on what a network layout is so maybe give them a legend or some guides or or something like do like a small network layout diagram just to show them how it works with something very simple and then introduce them to the more complicated one so that it doesn't hit them so hard. So not only are they having to understand the topic, but also something else. Uh, but we'll come on to this a little bit later on, actually. Um, we've got some great content we're going to signpost people to about <laughs> what actually matters when you're building a viz. But just to sort of close off this section, I think the other thing about this is that um, 
when people are looking at visualizations, there is a social element that's not often talked about. Uh, if you if you if you t- do a very simple thing, which is you take a uh, a scatter plot, let's say it's an, another sort of contentious chart type, and you show it to just one person, um, that one person in isolation might find it harder to assimilate and understand that scatter plot compared to if you show it to a room of maybe fifteen people. And the reason here is that um, there's, a re- there's a really famous um, project run by the New York Times where basically they take uh, data viz from their news stories and they educate children through it. I'll put a link uh, in the show notes to it. And what is really interesting and they started noticing is that where students didn't have an understanding of a topic, they would look at their peers and see what they were saying and how they were reading it. And then in subsequent exercises, you'd find those same students borrowing language from their peers, if that makes sense. So it's this idea of, you know, if you have champions in your organizations who get this, actually immersing people around them or putting those people into situations where maybe others who aren't as familiar with database and that kind of knowledge can rub off because people are learning from each other, that sort of social learning um, sort of happens in a, in, a, in, a, in a collaborative way and that actually lifts everyone's ability to understand that. And there's nothing wrong with, with yeah, that, yeah, of course. Yeah, yeah. Um, It's just a, another type of understanding. Exactly. And, 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 and uh, you know, I, I guess me and you both see that first time with, with, you know, the four months of the data school because it's like when I personally came in and we, we, I think we talked about it in the previous episode about you know, learning and te- being taught Tableau. Discovery, teaching, yeah. yeah. Discovery, tab- yeah, discovering Tableau. And for me, it was like regular hammering of the points of st- things such as, you know, uh, Andy being like, you know, remember about the context you want to show, like framing this in a certain way. Remember to, you know, annotate these things correctly in order to shape the story and use these elements within the chart really, you know, in, in a different way just to help your user. Like that sort of thing, you don't learn until like you're not, not I don't want to say corrected. I want to say nurtured because yeah. it's, it's one of these things about feedback. It's like mm-hmm. you don't give feedback without request you say you sort of almost say would you like some feedback i think um fee gordon did a really good um piece on this in her talk at tc it's like you do the good feedback um here's something you can improve on yeah then but overall like and that's the sort of that repetitive repetition builds that muscle back up exactly to help understand um where someone's coming from and actually also when you see a community of people doing the same thing you're more likely to take an interest because there's sort of two sides to it Number one, you don't want to be left behind. And number two, you want to be part of it. I think that's, you know, one of the strongest aspects of um, initiatives such as Makeover Monday or, or mm. Viz for Social Good or any of these sort of, um, you know, data kind as well, if you've, if you've ever come across that in the UK. Those are yeah. all using the same sort of peer collaborative involvement sort of and gaming it in a way as well to make it interesting and people are engaging with it um, in that way. But, but- and what I really like about those is it's not just the fact you're in a community where you're learning and almost learning and copying off each other and like developing that. They're also being challenged, right? This yeah, is what's moving yeah. this field forward. This is why we always like come back to similar arguments about pie charts and whether a truncated axis is a good or bad. And you know, this is why we continue to have these debates to make sure that we're re-educating and relearning these muscles to think and challenge the way we do just so yeah. you're not flat out shutting someone down exactly exactly 
Okay, so I think I think we've 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 ringed that top part of the topic out pretty <laughs> pretty well. So what we are now want to do now we've talked about this topic in in depth. We want to sort of enable you to start building your visualizations with certain factors in mind, and so we're going to lean on some work done back in 2015 actually by Helen Kennedy and Andy Kirk on a project called Seeing Data, and this is a very yeah, interesting so Professor Helen project. Kennedy from the University of Sheffield. Yeah, yeah, and. Basically, what they did is that they, they had a, a slightly different approach to some of the examples we've talked about. But they ran a series of focus groups, and they basically uh, showed people some visualizations and asked them some pertinent questions. I'll actually link to a good uh, podcast episode on that particular study. You can listen to it on uh, Data Stories. But mm-hmm. um, the the most interesting part of this is actually the takeouts from it. So they they come up with like a three-part um, blog post, which basically talks about the factors that most influence sort of what people actually um, remember in a visualization. And um, I'll, sort of, I'll sort of start this backwards by actually going to the conclusion first, which is the key factors that, um, you know, sort of move us when we look at a data visualization. So I'll just list this out and then we can go through them in a bit more detail. Mm-hmm. The first one, the first one um, that ranked the most important is subject matter. Uh, the second was trust. The third was time. Uh, this is time to sort of understand what you're looking at and read it and understand it. The second from last was confidence and skill. So people's sort of innate ability to look at the data and take take it in. Uh, and then emotion is the very last one. And this this is partly about design, but it's also just generally how a data viz sort of or visualization makes you feel. So uh, I don't know, Ravi, what do you think about those? I mean, I, I love this stuff, right? Like, so um, it, I, given I study economics and sort of had a focus of on behavioral economics in my final year, this sort of stuff is really interesting to me because it it, it focuses on stuff like nudges, which, I'm, as you know, I'm a big fan of. Um, so let, let's start off with subject matter, right? So yeah, um, as you said, for example, let's go back to Peter Crouch again. Um, it's something I'm interested in, uh, but as a less casual observer. Mm-hmm. So. I get what the premise is. I get what they're trying to say. I move on. I've got the information I need. I've moved on. Now, if it was a subject matter like, say, for example, I don't know, uh, the prevalence of horoscopes and the how successful it was in predicting the weather, I would probably not even give it that much interest. Um, so, you know, you, you, you try less when you're less invested in finding out more, if that makes sense. Mm-hmm. Um, if you have a vested interest in figuring out what the subject matter has and where it places within your reader mm-hmm. um, or even yourself, it, it changes the way you interpret a viz, but also design a viz because that, that layer of context and that layer of information about the type of person you're designing for and the type of person that will consume it, that really matters when you're designing this sort of thing. Exactly, exactly. And I think the, the, most, interesting, the, the most interesting thing here is the thing you took away from that thing you saw earlier on today was the fact that it was about Peter Crouch and that's still with you today. And that's actually really important because that allows you to go back to it, right? You know that if you need to understand that topic again, just remembering the subject matter and where you got it from is enough because you've sort of signposted and, and, and flagged that particular bit of content. Um, right. I think the next thing you touched on there was trust, actually. So you you had a look at it. A perfect segue. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> uh, what was the source actually? Who who produced the viz? Uh, so it's Sky Sports. So I assume the source was um, 
from Opta. So okay, great. And so Opta is a well-trusted source, right? So we, yeah. you wouldn't invest your time if that came from uh, a source that wasn't Opta, right? If you didn't but, know. But then, but then at the same time, I assumed it was, given that it was on a media channel and I right, saw okay. it was probably from there. So, okay. Right? And, and so that, that matters as well. And I actually thinking back, like when you look at a news article, if there's a stat that I'm, I feel is a bit sheepy or, you know, a bit woolly and I'm not certain how accurate it is. I definitely look at what the source is. That's when Mm -hmm. I, that's when I interrogate the source more than if it's something I just sort of, either it follows the narrative of the story I'm reading or there's something someone's telling me. Mm -hmm. If it's something outrageous or something that sort of shocks you or makes you think a bit more, that's when I'll be more interested in the source. I think that's correct for almost everyone. Yeah, exactly, Um, exactly. And and actually, there's also other things into that. The reason the reason you're more likely to look at it is because uh, Sky Sports or Opta haven't abused your trust in the past. So you you went in with an assumed level <laughs> of trust because in the past they haven't abused that trust. They haven't done some disgusting 3D pie chart or um, I say disgusting for some people that's appealing, but that's a that's yep. a topic for another time. Um, <laughs> But you also trust their quality and the fact that they're very honest about what they're trying to represent. They're not trying to mislead you. And so uh, whether it's trust conveyed by what you see or trust assumed because in the past, you know, you have a sort of a good history of doing things that way, then that's a really sort of nice um, sort of understanding. Um, but but I also think there's also viz trust, right? If, if someone shows you, um, what you and I would call a really basic dashboard, you know, the sort of um, the the dashboard that has four elements, three elements, you know, a map, a line, and a bar, um, showing you one. You know, it, it's just telling its own story. It's not glammed up. You know, nothing's nothing's been cleaned or designed to be perfect. Your immediate reaction is to like, I don't know, I, I don't know if I, I, I want to trust it or not, but, but 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 when when you see those sorts of dashboards presented mm-hmm. and the story just makes everything that's related to design just disappear because it's so interesting. True. That's I think that's what really, that's why it's really interesting to see how people's trust develops as they sort of learn more and they figure out what their, their interest is towards. Like, for example, my... I wouldn't say disdain, but my lack of interest in long form visualizations is, you know, I've, I've talked about it a fair few times. Yeah, yeah. Um, but that's my personal choice. Whereas some people really like that sort of scrolly telling format. Um, yeah, and that's exactly. fine. Yeah. But I feel like that, that also feeds into this trust point. Like what do you trust and what is it that triggers that teeter? Exactly. And uh, I think, it's so important that people don't abuse that um, whatever they're doing, especially if you have a rapport and you've got momentum, it means you have to spend even more time making sure that you build that trust and you invest a little bit of time uh, creating or cultivating it. Um, yeah. The other thing is time. Where did you see this uh, post? Was it on Twitter? Of course. Of course. <laughs> okay. So when you look at a viz on Twitter, how much time do you realistically give it to, to, to sort of read and understand it? So typically uh, I'll, I'll sort of, it, it will be a, if it were a moment where you tap in and you sort of look at it for about, I'd say maximum 10, 15 seconds. Exactly, if it's interesting, yeah. I'll tap into it and zoom. Yeah. Right. To, to actually figure out what's going on. Yeah. Um, a, a really good example of this is uh, actually a long form viz uh, by Ben Davis, where he looked at um, 
uh, Premier League scoring rates mm -hmm. and comparing Harry Kane to Alan Shearer. Mm -hmm. And that was just compelling because at the face of it, I mean, again, because it's scrolling, you can't actually see all the information yes, in yes. detail. You can just see the design. Yeah. But the big titles compelled me to look into it. And again, I feel like the time element is important purely because it's, it so much depends on how much attention you're grabbing or whether that person actually wants to look. And that second point about whether they actually want to or whether they care to uh, makes a difference because it's not just about the visualization design, right? It's also mm -hmm. about the elements within this. So things like, you know, the sorting of dimensions, like if you're looking at um, trend over time, uh, yeah. so you've got sales or I don't know, um, number of um, music records sold um, from 2010 to 2019, but, it's like showing an upward trend, but it's going 2010, 2013, 2016 in a, in a disjointed order. But because you look at the first first uh, element, you look at the last element, you've mm -hmm. got 2010, you've got 2019. Your mind, because this is what our minds do, fills in the gaps. Exactly. We don't actually interrogate yeah. that further because, like I said, it's all about this thing where we will invest as much time into something depending on what our vested interest is mm -hmm. and whether we're trained to look in the right places or I, I don't, I don't want to say trained either, whether we, we would think to, I think that's, that's the more salient point here, whether we actually think to um, double check these things. Yeah, exactly. Exactly. I so said the next one is confidence and skill. I said that this is different, right? So in your example, I think you're, you're quite a fair with, um, sort of sports data viz. So you're, you're naturally have a lower sort of, um, well, you, ha you have a lower barrier to entry as it were to, to sort of this kind of content because you, you're kind of part of the natural discourse that takes place. Whereas right. if I took that same viz and I shared it to someone who maybe didn't understand football so well, there's so many levels of understanding there that's implied through the chart. That's not necessarily, a, a, you know, directly explained. I mean, imagine having to explain the game of football before you showed someone this chart. You wouldn't or, even... Or imagine having to explain what a chart type is. Yeah, exactly. So explain the chart type. Before you explain the subject. So the subject is, is, is the works both ways, right? Because you might be expert on the topic, but not understand the chart. Yes, exactly. Exactly. And so confidence and skill comes into this because if you're confident, then you'll actually work through it and you'll figure it out. But for those who aren't, you need a you need some sort of soft introduction. And then likewise, your skill level, if you naturally have a high level of skill, then you might find it easier even if you don't have the confidence to sort of comprehend this and so those two things are kind of a, it's, it's a difficult one to balance up but in organizations we we take for granted actually that not everyone actually has the skill set to understand complex and uh, chart types and so uh, like we suggested earlier having that community makes it a little bit easier and brings those barriers to entries down but also allows people to build their skills in a supportive way uh, where they don't necessarily have it and and the medium really matters as well, right? So yeah. if someone if someone built, showed me a network chart while they're explaining a story about, um, you know, the the fact that they took these all these different parameters, put them together, and this is what they found, it's like, wow, that's amazing. But you take that completely out of context, and it's just like, right, sorry, what am I looking at here? Like, where do I start? Exactly, it's, it's sort of it has yeah. that element of to it, to mm -hmm. it, and and that always happens with like charts with color explosions on them or yeah. charts where there's loads of different layers um, going on. There's loads of text versus the amount of charts and those sorts of images versus the amount of information. 
<laughs> yeah. And that, that, that leads nicely to design, actually, which, which is mostly encapsulated by emotion. But, I mean, it's funny that design hasn't been uh, a pertinent point in all of this, right? Nowhere, yeah. nowhere in all this research has great design been an outcome of, you know, great understanding of data viz. But I think when we talk about emotion, that is where design plays the biggest part. You talked about Ben Davis's um, sort of long form data viz. And you see that is an example where design and not in the literal sense of, you know, colors and graphics, but by choosing to make it long form, he naturally sort of lowered that skill sort of confidence gap because he made you assimilate it at a certain pace by making you scroll down he's making you taking information in, at a certain pace which means that you're taking it in and getting an education and that is that is one advantage of the long form is that you can actually break a story down and as someone engages with the content at their own pace they're understanding it and you know two people will scroll at two different paces yeah, and I, I like that. I mean, I, I do, I do, I do completely appreciate that. Now, what I also liked about that particular viz as well is, before I double tapped to actually understand it, I could see the salient points. I could see the titles. I could yeah. see the the break lines. Yeah, I could see the images it used. You know, Alan Shearer's famous one hand in the air celebration. Right. It's that sort of. That's the emotion, right? That's that's exactly that. Exactly. It's like when you're using the right colors. It's when you're using um, subheaders and you're using again coming back to this concept of nudges the small subtle design tweaks and and th- at this point it's like the perfect time for me to um give a huge shout out to my absolute favorite blog series of all time which is um andy kirk's the little of data viz yes um where he calls out the tiny elements in people's visualizations that he really likes and sh- shows why they're important you know like yeah adding a parameter or a filter within a body of text yes or um the most simple is you know using color in titles yeah. to refer to chart elements we'll put that That's in the show notes. i love yeah. that yeah yeah absolutely and it's it's so important because although it's the last thing we're talking about uh it's the first thing people notice when it's done wrong so <laughs> when when type and font is inappropriate or hard to read when color is sort of garish or wrong or misleads people that's what your eyes are naturally geared to notice first. So when you don't do it properly, people spend more time trying to decipher what's going on than, than than they should. But when it's done so right, that stuff just sort of fades into the background and you don't talk about the font, the color. In fact, more often than not, you look at it and you realize what is it about this? And you can't really put a finger on it, but that's because the designer is doing the intended job. Correct. And I I like what I think when I once saw Andy Kirk talk and he uh, put that famous hurricane visit up. You've, I think you've seen the one that's animated yeah. and it shows the swells around the USA. Mm-hmm. And he said to everyone, yeah, take take two minutes and speak to the person next to you. What is it that makes this so good? Yeah. And the thing it was, was all you had on the chart was the swells and like a white outline of the USA. But because it was white, you can see it. And the tiny tight on the bottom right, it's the complete lack of design that was the design. Yes. And that's so important and that, that can be so powerful and the power of white space and thinking about those sort of small design choices is so important when you're thinking about like letting a visualization breathe and allowing people to not feel overwhelmed by what they're consuming. Exactly. I think we have it. I think we've um, 
think we've covered this uh, in as much detail as we possibly can. Uh, we're really interested in people's thoughts there. I think this discussion is one that can be had many times over, um, you know, in different places. Absolutely. And you probably arrive at completely different um, sort of understandings. Um, maybe you think our summary was too brief. Maybe you've got a great data source. Let us know. Um, by all means, comment on Twitter. Send us send us your emails and feedback in as always. We'd really appreciate that. Um as we highlighted at the beginning of the show, we're going to spend some time now talking about how we record the podcast. Um, but yeah. until the next episode, if you're going to hop off now, we'll catch you, catch you in the next one. Cheers. Take it easy if you're going. Okay, so I'm back. Uh, we actually recorded the section about podcasting and it took uh, 15 minutes. So what we've done is we've split it out into a separate episode, a bonus episode, which will release at the same time as this episode. So if you're still listening out for that, just look for the next podcast and you can listen to it there.